What's up, everybody? You are now listening in to the Truth Pace Podcast. I am your host, Joe Jesse. And yes, I know, it's been a minute. (laughs) For reasons that maybe I'll make an episode about, personal reasons, I've been taking a break. And even though I am under the weather, I've got something I want to talk about. And uh, I don't want it to wait, mainly because if I wait, I probably won't make an episode about it. And my thoughts around the topic are probably going to fade away. So why not knock it out while I can and give you some more content that a lot of you have been asking me about for a long time. So today we're going to talk about race in the United States. Super loaded topic. We're not going to be able to get into everything, but I want to share my experience from a workshop that I went through um, maybe about a week ago. To all of you listening for the first time, what's good? Those of you subscribed and still listening, y'all are the shit. (laughs) I apologize for the hiatus, but I'm going to be back making a lot more stuff bringing that good content and as always real topics real people real funny real talk it's truth pace we're back all right welcome back so once again i apologize for um you know the sound of my voice, one nostril is clogged completely. Um, And I'm pretty sure throughout this episode, that clog will then move from one side to the other side of my nose. Um, I'm not going to blow my nose. That's going to sound way, way too annoying and probably way too loud. Um, Or maybe I guess I could could probably trim that and cut it when I edit it or I could just talk like this this is my R&B my R&B voice so ladies watch out (laughs) Um, but on today's episode we're going to talk about race in the United States and like I said I went through a workshop around this particular topic and I wanted to break it down into um just a few parts, Um, really my experience with the information that was given, my experience with the people that were also going through the workshop, and then I guess just my final thoughts about it. So to kind of set the, the, I guess, set the scene, it's a pretty diverse group of people that have all come to this Um, this workshop all ages Um, if you want to talk about race there are only two white people represented there are three or two Asian people well okay here's the thing technically three Asian people represented one of them being Indian um there are six, seven 
um, black people represented and one <clears throat> one Hispanic person represented. So there's there's you know a, a pretty good amount of diversity at this workshop, which is good because it's going to hopefully give us a lot of perspective on just kind of understanding race in the United States. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we end up watching this video. I don't remember the name of it, but it it breaks it breaks race down into essentially a few parts. There's one that talks about the genetics of race, which, you know, you know, <laughs> spoiler alert, there is no uh <laughs> there is no science behind race. Um there's the kind of the history part of the United States and kind of how we talk about race in this country and where that comes from. Uh, there was another part about the housing situation and kind of how that has created a huge gap in wealth, especially generational wealth. So all these different things that you know kind of speak to systematic racism the beginning of it really not even going into like slavery because that's usually where people you know tune out right it's like oh here we go with slavery again no we're gonna bypass that we're gonna bypass um you know all of that we're gonna go right into the emancipation proclamation well first we're gonna start with the declaration of independence and <clears throat> but like I said, that was the history part. So first, you know, they went into the science because everyone loves to get behind science. I'm one of those people as well. I want to know the science behind something. If it can be proven through science, I will believe it <laughs> for the most part. If it cannot be proven through science, I'm going to have a much harder time to believe it. And so this this well the workshop started with a question of why does race matter and i'll let you think about that for a short second why does race matter so my answer to that question we worked in paris so the person that sat at the table with you you had a conversation about it and i had a conversation with this lovely um East Indian woman about why race matters and we both agreed that it shouldn't race shouldn't matter right because it's not real one it's a social construct there's no science behind race though it does matter and because it does matter and people behave a certain way because of race maybe understanding why people behave a certain way, why people treat others a certain way, these types of things, that makes race important, right? It's important in that sense because being able to understand where people come from, their background, their perspective on things, if it's based on their race, then maybe it'll be a little easier to understand what it is that they're doing, saying, or where they're coming from, right? <clears throat> Immediately, I was challenged 
on that point on how could how could I say I'm only laughing because it's like damn like I was the first answer here we go somebody's challenging me on that point not even a facilitator one of the people participating um basically was like how in the same you know breath can you say that it doesn't matter but then in the same say that it can be learned to understand people's behavior and for me I'm sitting there looking like do you like do you want me to answer this like are we gonna start this right now or do I just leave her you know the comment alone like I'm fine either way like I don't mind answering to that I'll explain where I'm coming from but if that's if (laughs) if you're trying to get answers from everybody we probably shouldn't start with that so I just I'm looking at I'm looking at the facilitators like so what do you want me to do um (laughs) we ended up just moving on but uh, we end up watching this video and it gets into a number of of different things mainly the science behind race now there's science behind dna that points to different like different makeups of people different different um i guess like I don't know if it's like molecular but it's it's more of like ancestral stuff right so they set it up with it was like a group a group of people and all race genders it's probably like 10 right but they usually had like of each race they usually had one woman one man at least maybe there were doubles and so they you know ask the question of who do you think you'd have similar uh, DNA to and they all answered and a lot of them based it all off of appearance right you know Jen and Jen looks just like me because she's you know a you know, white woman with blonde hair and I, I think I'm gonna be least like uh, you know, Jonathan, because he's a black male with short hair, right? So these types of things, right? So they went around, they did it with everyone, and then they had them all, you know, kind of had like a DNA test, and they showed the breakdown, and they showed who they were similar to, in, like as far as the group, which was surprising, because none of them were right at all. It was usually someone kind of off, that they never would have assumed and then what they do is they take that same uh i guess dna makeup and they match it to people in different countries to try to trace back their ancestry and a lot of them were very surprised to find that their their ancestry are in places that they never would have thought or assumed which to me kind of goes back to my whole point about it it not it doesn't matter because in reality that's just color that's color and feature it has nothing really to do with one's ethnicity i can learn a lot more about one's ethnicity than their race that's going to give me a much better indication of how to communicate and interact with this person because 
I can look at someone and say, oh, they're a perfect example. When I, when I used to live in Miami, I could look, I could walk up to a girl. She had blonde hair, blue eyes. I walk up to her and I'm, and I, I mean, I don't know. How, how do you treat a white woman? Well, if you're, if you're a young black man and you walk up to a white woman with blonde hair and blue eyes, you're going to act very polite and as non-threatening as possible because we are told that we are very threatening without even having to do anything. So you're going to approach them very <clears throat> uh, in a very non-threatening manner. And lo and behold, this white woman starts speaking Spanish. And she's speaking Spanish much faster than any Hispanic woman, right? Or any Mexican woman that you've ever met. And that's because she is Cuban. She is not white. She is Cuban. Here in the United States, you look at her, she is white. You ask her, she's going to say she's Cuban or she's Latin. She's not white. But it's very confusing to understand that in this country, right? There are plenty of people where I could put two black people next to each other. And I could look at them and just assume, oh, these are two black people. One opens their mouth, the other opens their mouth. Two totally different accents. This person is from Somalia. This person is from Trinidad. They sound like two totally different people. (coughs) But there are people who are of a different race in this country or color that can be from those same places that sound just like them. I've traveled enough. I've met enough people to understand that one's ethnicity is much more important than one's race. Race is of no indication whatsoever other than applying for a bank loan, right? And that's kind of what I gathered. Uh, well, that was my initial thought before watching kind of this first, um, I guess this first segment of this video. <clears throat> and, you know, I had a lot of questions, you know, kind of about this, you know, what aspects can be used to identify people genetically, you know, how much variation between races can define a person and you know really more so asking the question is there more work that can be done to either absolutely say that there is a way to scientifically define race or if we can completely and absolutely say that there is no way. I'm not a scientist. I don't know if there is or is not. I know in this video they said that there is not. I believe that there is no way to scientifically, you know, prove race among people. But like I said, I could be wrong. And there were, I mean, there was, there's a lot of like messed up stuff you know, going on during this time, because you start thinking about testing people, right? Like, you you come to the conclusion that race does not, there is no, okay, <clears throat> back in the day, <laughs> first man, right? Like, well, let's not even go first man. Let's go, all men are created equal. 
right? Or no, even before then, like during the early settlers and during those times when they were coming and they were moving to these different countries, they were coming across different ethnicities of people that looked very different than anything that they had seen before. So now they're looking at these people as different human species, right? So you want to study them. What makes them different? Are they really humans or are they animals? Are they beasts? Really, the first studies were, you know, Christians versus heathens. Can these heathens be converted into Christians? Because Christians like us are, you know, they get rights and things like that. It's fucked up to say, right? Among other things. But in reality, they get rights and we can treat them like humans. But if they're animals, then fuck no. You're not going to treat them with any kind of respect. We're going to study them. You start thinking about what kind of studies were they doing? You're giving these people different diseases, seeing how they either naturally respond or you give them different anecdotes to or antidotes yeah antidotes not anecdotes anecdotes is like a note (laughs) antidotes for these medicines to see how they respond if they can be cured but there are hundreds and thousands among thousands of these people being killed while these scientists test these people right so here's the crazy part when the the lady sitting next to me she said it the best she said when you're the winner you get to tell the story because no one's gonna believe the loser's story because they lost i was like damn that's real so you start thinking about it these settlers that were coming over and overpowering these other ethnicities and groups of people (coughs) because they were the victors and overtook the land and the materials and the people of these areas because they were the winners they in turn get to tell the story and what I mean by that is they get to justify their actions in which or their actions in how they were to capture these things right so yeah let's say you came in and you tricked them you you killed them with disease and you know use you know different types of violence yeah okay you know we're not going to tell that story what we're going to say is is that we got here we wanted to make peace and these people didn't want to make peace which may not be the case they may not understand what the hell you're doing here and they've never seen white people because we're talking about race. These people aren't European. No one knows about Europe, right? And in this case, they're in the United States. No one's European in the United States. Not at first. You're for, you're either Hispanic, Latin, or you're white before you're European. Because you can be from Spain, Italy, France, whatever. You're white in the United States. <clears throat> but none of these people had seen white people before so this is a very scary thing at first and i'm sure for some it's also 
it's a very intimidating thing. Like, never see. Ima- imagine today, if you went to, and I'm, there are places. There was a story about this island close to India. Uh, go figure. Where some, where this dude, uh, I believe he was a, a missionary. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm only laughing because, it, you know. Well, he went over to this island, wanted to help the people, try to convert them to Christianity, supposedly. And when he got over there, they started shooting arrows at him. They ended up killing him, took dude, buried him. And, yeah. Like, I guess he went there one time before. They started shooting arrows at him, and he went back. Like, he should have known. Like, these people, they have had no interaction with civilization or humans of any other kind than the ones on this island ever <coughs> what do you expect so that round I sort of bring it all back into one point through all these different tests these people believe that there were actual scientific differences in different race of people in native uh, Indian and Alaskan and um you know, African people, all the, you know, Asian people as well, all these scientific differences, and they all pointed to one thing, that white people, no matter what, were superior to everyone else, because there was studies shown that, you know, because of the size of the head of the Negroid, uh, they are more ornery and less capable of compassion and reason than the cock, the the Caucasoid or the Caucasian or whatever it is that they were calling themselves. Just all these different things. But imagine you have. How are you going to examine the brain of an African person? You're gonna have to die. Do you? Th- how many? black people are dying of natural causes back then I'm sure that can be accelerated for scientific purposes so it was just crazy I mean it was it was a real big eye opener to kind of see that even though you know I knew a lot about that but it's still one of those things where it's like damn like people truly believed that there were differences and because they were in a position of power they got to justify you know, some of these fucked up experiments because no one, who's going to say no? <laughs> no one's going to say no. It's crazy. So we're going to take a quick break. After this, we're going to get into kind of the story that we in this country tell about race. It's not the truth. Right back in a minute. welcome back so this is the part of the video that I would guess is kind of the meat of the sandwich this is the part that no one likes to talk about and that is the history of the United States and how we look at race now like I said in the beginning or at least in the last segment there are no genetic marks that indicate race it is a social construct this is something that people made 
in order to categorize groups of people that look different or very similar to one another, right? And so how did that all come about? It wasn't like in 2018, all of a sudden it's like, you know what? We got to separate ourselves and be able to figure people out. So we're going to come up with a way to do that. And it's going to be through race. Like, nah, (laughs) it wasn't that. You know what I mean? Like, it's been going on for a long time. And it's been going on since the Declaration of Independence. And one person that they, they talked a lot about in this video was Thomas Jefferson who they, they view as being the first person to talk about race as he wrote that all men are created equal, yet he had slaves. And apparently he had a second family with a black woman, which I knew nothing about. I didn't know any of this, like... This was this was news to me. Apparently, it was like a big deal on Oprah, and they did a big episode behind it. You could probably YouTube that and look it up. Yeah, I guess like that was done in the '90s or something like that. Like crazy stuff. Um, but they point to that that phrase "all men created equal" as an indication of race because in order to you know, the whole I don't see color, then yeah, all men are created equal because there are genetic markers that indicate the differences between men and women. So regardless of how you look on the exterior, on the interior, your makeup is the same as another man. So all men are created equal, yet all men were not created equal because there were beliefs that, you know, during slavery, God made blacks to be slaves. That's a quote. That is a direct quote from that movie, from people and scientists from those times. All these theories about race, like, were used to do these scientific studies. It wasn't like these these studies were done and then conclusions were made out of it yes that was part of it too but there has to be in a you know a hypothesis and there is a belief that blacks are less capable of i get intelligent work versus manual labor So there were studies done to either prove or, uh, well, I mean, they didn't do really any work to disprove it. Really, it was more so to prove that it was true. Because if you find out that that's not true and like, oh, my God, blacks are actually smart, have bigger brains than whites and are, are much stronger as far as like you know, immune systems and, and, you know, physically and all that stuff. Like, oh no, we're going to change the story. Uh, we can't, we can't tell them that. Not if we're going to be the dominant power. Why would you, if you're trying to be the king, why would you tell the people that they're stronger than you? You want them to believe that you're the strongest. 
which is, you know, in a fucked up way, it's like, I don't blame them, because right now, that's what we all want, right, is to be able to, you know, kind of show our pride and, and display our strengths as a race or as, you know, whatever, however you want to do it, however you, you believe, right, once again, I apologize for being under the weather, but this is an important topic and I really wanted, I really wanted to share this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm watching all of this and it goes back to the time of Christians versus heathens. That was like the first distinguishing way to separate groups of people because it was believed that these people of another color that look different were heathens. These weren't Christians. These weren't God's people. These were like monsters. Can they be converted? Because then, and only then, would they be somewhat suitable. They're not quite equal, but they're not monsters. There's something in between. Which... I mean, it was just messed up. It was just messed up. And so after that, right, like there's, that's where the term nationalism or nationalist comes from, right? Because this is like early times. It was really more so about having pride in your country and being, uh, essentially being white because if you weren't white, you couldn't be a nationalist. You were a heathen, or you were a slave. A slave, like there, you you had no rights in order to be to to be like a nationalist. So, like in the early days, like I mean, back then, it probably didn't mean what it means now. But even if it even if being a nationalist now, or if a nationalist, even a nationalist then, would support what it means to be a nationalist now. And the same things that they would support, ideally, are because another race of people need to be put down. And, uh, you know, if you're, al- if you're aligned with that, then yeah, then you believe in white supremacy because in this country we deal with race not you know if that were the case all of us could be nationalists but unfortunately nationalists don't believe that <laughs> they only believe that a certain group of people are suitable to be nationalists, which then goes back to the original point of what did it mean to be a nationalist from the very beginning. So, you know, all, you know I had, and like, <clears throat> like I said, I had a couple questions about this section of, you know, what happened during the Train of Tears, and which was essentially this gigantic removal of Indian people or Native Indian people. Um, which is a story that I looked a little bit into. I won't talk. I won't talk about that. That's something for you to look at later. If you're curious just to learn more about the history of this country, Google "Train of Tears." 
Native American. See what pops up. Um, also, you know, kind of understanding how whites in the early 1900s would use other race to depict and justify the degradation of these people. Now, this is very important because this brings me to something that stood out. During... Throughout, okay, throughout history, and we even do this now, which is very interesting, and just it's just taken different forms. During the earlier years, if anyone has ever seen the movie, or, yeah, the film... Uh, what? Pardon me, I just spilled a bunch of tea. And I don't mean gossip. I literally mean tea. I am sick. <laughs> and I just spilled it. Give me a moment. Okay, so back to the point. All right, so throughout history, white people have depicted other race of people through propaganda. And what I mean by propaganda, I mean actual like cartoons, news, and like any kind of large or mass publication. The depiction of people of another race has always been in a negative way and what I didn't know is that um it's not funny it is funny though because it's so stupid it's so naive and ignorant but um in the earlier days the depictions of african-american people were very very dark skin these gigantic strawberry red lips um, you know, wearing loincloths and shit, looking like spear chuckers and things like that. Real blackface jigaboo type shit, right? <clears throat> Which, I mean, we've seen that before. What I didn't know was that during during a time when the United States was was it the United States or was it was it Britain because Britain was taking everything whomever was trying to occupy the Philippines they were depicting in comics and like newspapers and propaganda like flyers Filipino people as black people so like the same caricature or like the cartoon that you would use to depict black people they were using the same one to depict filipino people which to some would be like why would they do that but to me i'm like that makes perfect sense no one knows what filipino people look like back in these days in the early 1900s who the fuck's been to the philippines no one's got the internet you don't know what a filipino person looks like but you know you don't like, you know, we're trying to occupy them and they're being difficult, so fuck those guys. So we're going to make them look like the bad guy. You know who looks like the bad guy? Black people. So what we're going to do is just make them look like that. People identify with that. 
oh yeah i know yeah oh yeah they look like man fuck those guys they look like that i know what that is i'm familiar with that that group of people which to me was wild that's some lazy shit but at the same time it makes perfect sense the depiction of a group of people that the masses can identify as someone that they dislike that you're going to get that emotion smart we do that now right we don't have an image of you know a terrorist but we start depicting and describing all these things that would be synonymous with what we believe are terrorists right or we try to associate last names with race of people how people dress and how they look with certain religions of people tall black male you know between the age of 21 and 30 and a height between 5'4 and 6'8 <laughs> go find your suspect like nah we still do that today with the news in this country which is very interesting so for me to see that it really brought home a huge point where it's like damn we still do that today and what I liked most about this particular segment <clears throat> there was a there was a person in the group not from this country they had moved to this country from Africa he's they said I don't know maybe like seven years ago something like that eight years ago and they said since being here he doesn't really understand like how how black people got like this right which to me was a very interesting point because this gentleman is from Africa and here in this country he is black but to him he is African which he is he is African but he is also black but he's not African American he identifies as African he's an immigrant not a citizen or at least US born so he identifies with both but he's somewhere in the middle which is a very interesting perspective and it's perspective that I don't think we as black people take into account a lot of times when dealing with other black people that aren't born in this country they have a much different perspective because they have to learn all of the injustice that has happened to black people in this country and then they have to be grouped into this group of people without necessarily being asked if they want to or not but they have to accept all the faults that come with it so imagine that being grouped into a group of people who are pretty much the have-nots not understanding why this group of people are the have-nots because where you're from these everybody looks like me so why is it that the people that look like me here get the scraps you gotta learn your history and when this gentleman learned the history it opened his eyes a little bit more 
as to why black people born here behave the way that they do. The perspective that we have on certain things in this country. The systems that are in place to keep us in a position to either be stagnant or blame others for a lack of progress. All these things, these questions that he didn't have answers to or at least didn't understand the answers to were all being answered right there for him in this segment. It was a very interesting, very, very interesting conversation to say the least. More when we come back. Alright, welcome back. So, the last video that we watched, the last segment, I guess, of this training, talked about how the wealth disparity between blacks and whites was created, and a lot of it stemming from the housing situation, kind of understanding how purchasing homes created generational wealth for families but it went in a little deeper than that now working in real estate I knew a little bit about this just kind of running into research about certain areas in Los Angeles certain neighborhoods just the histories of these places and then learning um, you know a little bit about just kind of the you know I mean kind of what this was talking about understanding the the gap in generational wealth between blacks and other races, mainly white families. And so this got into, um, it started after, I think it was the Second World War. The troops came home and a lot of them had a whole bunch of money and really nowhere to live. So the suburbs, or what we now call the suburbs, These areas created these new houses to be able to be built quickly, to be moved in quickly, um, and they all use kind of a cookie cutter model, and that kind of ensures that the homes will be able to be built rather fast. And the government, um, you know, I won't get into too many of the details for for the sake of time, and there's more I want to talk about, but essentially the government put in place another segment of government that would allow these soldiers to purchase these brand new homes because of the money that they got with their GI bill um, and then pretty much making these homes affordable for these soldiers to buy. So this starts happening. What these people didn't anticipate was the black soldier who had the same amount of money and was coming home and was able to purchase one of these homes. What would happen when he, that family moves into that white neighborhood, right? Things started to change. So now we're going to get into kind of the process of how 
a ghetto was formed and then I'll tap in just a little bit into understanding gentrification. So this kind of brings it full circle for those of you who don't really understand the nuances of gentrification or kind of how it affects a community of people. So hopefully this um, explanation will kind of break it down. So essentially you've got these suburbs, hundreds of homes created in an area further away from the city that is nice, pleasant, and affordable for these people who have the ability to put a fair amount of money down as far as a down payment for a home right away. The majority of these people that were able to do that were white men. So essentially, you've got these areas where there are a ton of white men. Time goes on, now you've got these middle class or maybe middle upper class black families who can now afford to purchase these homes. And who wouldn't? I mean, you're who we're all we all want to be homeowners if you're not a homeowner already. And partially it's because we want to have something that we can call our own. And then the other part is we understand from a financial standpoint what that does and what that could do for our children, whether it be giving the home to them or selling the home and now you know it becomes an asset and we could do something with the money <clears throat> these black families would move into these neighborhoods and what started happening were well blockbusting right blockbusting was a term used to essentially get whites out of these suburb areas where blacks were moving in because when blacks started moving into these areas the property values started to drop for no reason other than black people are living here same houses same stores same grass ain't shit changed the only difference is black people live here now so the value of it is going to drop so What these companies were doing is that they would go to these white families and say, hey, black people are moving in. The value of your home is going to decrease dramatically. I'll give you X amount of dollars right now to move. And hundreds, thousands of families started doing this. They all started doing this because... One, from uh, like a racial standpoint, they don't want to be around black people. And on the other side, if I've invested money into this home for it to become an asset, I don't want to get into the red to where it becomes a liability. So if I can sell at a premium and make a profit, or at the very least, I can break even, well then hell, that's a win-win for anybody right just was unfortunate that it all had to do with race so now you've got these black families living in these suburbs what starts to happen is not only do the white families move out but the businesses move out with them because they're also being told that the value of where their place their location is dropping So they want to move as well. If you own a business in the location that you're at, you find out that the value of that area is decreasing. You've got to make an assessment as to 
is it a good decision for your business to stay here or not? And the majority of the business owners decided to leave. Where do you think they went? They went back to the affluent white neighborhoods because the value is there for them, right? So fast forward just a little bit. Black families live in these areas. Other people of color live in these areas because these businesses move out. Some of these other businesses that are owned by people of color, they can't sustain because the value, you need outside people to come in to these businesses because it's not necessarily sustainable all on its own in just that area. Unless you've got something specific for that area, then in that case, you may be able to work something out. But it's not going to have the same value. So a lot of these businesses, they come and they go. So the value decreases. So does essentially the buildings around, right? And now what you have is an opportunity for people who own these homes, black families who own these homes, to sell these homes, not necessarily at a profit, you're selling essentially ownership whatever it is that you own that could create or potentially could have potentially created generational wealth for your family you're essentially selling that away sometimes at a loss why because maybe you can't afford the upkeep or the remodel that your home needs because your home was built in the 80s it's 2010 right let's say it's 2000 shit it's 2018 your house was was, your home was built in the 80s was built in the 70s you need to remodel you can't afford to remodel you don't have enough equity in the home so what are you gonna do someone's gonna come and approach you and give you some lowball ass offer but because everyone else in your area is selling you're feeling a little bit of a little bit of pressure to sell as well. Because now what you're starting to see is that these old homes are getting knocked down. These new homes are getting built in these areas. All cookie cutter homes, essentially the same model, same design to be built quickly, move in fast, and being offered at a price that the people that live in this or live in that area cannot afford. So those people who can are coming outside from somewhere else. Where are they coming from? Are they coming? I mean, let's not blanket this whole thing, right? Are they coming from places where they can't afford where they're staying? It's hard, it's hard for me to think of a scenario where someone is coming from a place they can't afford and moving into a new home that they purchased. Because it takes a lot, it takes money to do that. You have to have stockpiled and saved money to be able to do that. Now, there are some people that, that do that, but how many of these families that are moving in to these gentrified areas? That's now we're talking about gentrification, where you're starting to knock down these properties that you've purchased at a premium, almost at cost. You're knocking them down and you're putting up homes at a 200, 300% markup. 
it's not like the, the land got bigger. Most of the homes are small. They're just taller now. So it's not like you're owning any land, which essentially is what was being offered in the very beginning in the first segment. Land is something that that needed to be owned. Anything built on anything built on land, I own that too. I own the land. <clears throat> and black people were not permitted to purchase land. So the next go around, homes. Now things are being put in place on paper to make it difficult for black people to purchase homes. This was in the beginning, before black people started moving into these areas. I remember hearing stories about how black families would have to send white families to do um, like visits of homes, like when they would go and look at different homes. Because if the realtor found out that the family that they were working with was black, the realtor may discourage that family from trying to move in. They may tell them that the price is, you know, oh, the price is actually higher than this. Or something's actually wrong with this home. Or maybe you want to look in another area. Or maybe you don't really want this price point. Like, imagine that. Like, you, you're going to someone for their business. You're going to a realtor. You've got money to purchase a home. You're looking to purchase a home. You want to purchase a home for your family. And now because of the color of your skin, you've got this realtor telling you, you know what, maybe you don't actually want to buy a home. At least not in this area you can afford, that's nice. Because the worry is is that now the value of that area is going to drop. And if that's an area that that agent has farmed, and farmed is just a term for basically like designated as their their own. They've worked that area. They know the people that live in that area. They know the history of that area. They know the values of that home of that area. They're sending out information and reaching out to those people in that area. If you farmed out that area and you've upped the value because you've run up the price or you've put certain people in place there to up the value of that area, why in the world would you bring in people that would lower the value? Because it's, it's a fucked up thought, right? Like they've got the money, so essentially it shouldn't lower the value. If anything, if you run the price up and they purchase it, it's going to increase the value on paper. But because they're black, now the value has decreased. <clears throat> it was crazy. Like watching this whole thing, there were a bunch of things that I learned about that I had no idea. Like I, I didn't know the court deemed who was black I understood that in regards to like voting and ownership of maybe like land or purchasing of home like that whole one eighth black thing or like a drop of black now you're black type of deal I didn't know though that different states had different I guess like fractions or percentages that were I guess allowed before you were deemed black so like one state if you were one eighth black you were black but you could cross the state line to another state and you gotta be at least one sixth black to be deemed black so in this state I'm black but in that state I'm white that's crazy to me that is crazy to me there was another thing that I saw when it was talking about the term melting pot. 
Now, melting pot is a very interesting term, and I used to think that that term was used as an all-inclusive term, right? You think of melting pot, and we talk about having a little bit of everything in there, or in this case, a little bit of everyone represented in that. But that wasn't the case. Melting pot was a term created to describe the influx of Europeans coming to well yeah European immigrants coming to really mainly like New York Staten Island right all of those people fit into the melting pot Spanish Italian English French all of these people they belong in the melting pot black people were not a part of the melting i didn't know that i didn't know that that term like we weren't included in that but in early comics and publications in very prominent newspapers that was the image that was portrayed you never saw black people a part of the melting pot you never saw comics talking about encouraging or or like it's the statue lady liberty the Statue of Liberty holding these beautiful European immigrants in her arms, welcoming them to the wonderful United States of America. There was not a black person in sight in that comic. We were not included in that term. So now that that term makes me feel kind of a way now. Because even though in my mind I feel we are included, that's not necessarily where, where that term started from. We were not included in the beginning of that. And just a lot, man, a lot of different things. Like, like race was something, I didn't know race was something that you could evaluate about a neighborhood the same way you would do like a home inspection. That was a thing. Now you, I guess you could go to like the census and figure it out and it's just more of a statistical thing. But that was something that needed to be checked. Like, okay, you know, we're gonna check the roof. We're gonna check the floors. We're gonna check the plumbing. We're gonna check the, like, the outside of the home, like the structure. We're gonna, I need to know like, how many black people live in this neighborhood? Whoa. That was a real thing. Like, we really needed to know how many black people live in this neighborhood. Because that's going to be a determining factor in if I purchase this home or not. That shit was wild to me. Wild to me. And in some ways, it's kind of the same now. But it's almost reverse, where it's just like, okay... I'll move to the hood if it's in the middle of being gentrified because now I'm going to buy my home when it's cheap. Yeah, the area's a little rough right now, but they're cleaning it up. And in about four or five years, the value of this home hopefully is going to go up, maybe double, depending on how well in Seattle we're, we're starting to hit that, that peak shit's dropping right now so 
in some of these areas, you're hoping that the value increases to where when you retire, you could sell, have some money on the back end, downsize, but own maybe a condo instead of a full home, pass the home, whatever. You create that generational wealth by purchasing a home, sitting on the home, the value in that area goes up. You sell that home when the value is at its highest. You pocket the profits. You keep playing the game. <clears throat> but imagine when you jumped into that game, they told you the rules were different. That when you actually purchased a home, you're losing money. Because the value around you is going to drop. Yeah, you own it. So you can sell it. You've got ownership in something and you've got an asset. But that asset, the value of that asset is not going to increase any more than from the time you first purchased it. Because when all these white people and all these businesses associated with them leave, so does the value of your home. So now that's why you start to see, that's why all our grandmas and grandpas are selling their homes in the CD, in the South End. They can't afford the remodels. They can't afford the upgrades, the updates needed to keep that house in check. And you got someone every day knocking on your your phone, at your door, in your mailbox, in your inbox, trying to buy your home. I'm trying to give you money. You didn't pay it off the home. You own it. But if you could just figure out a way to stay here just a little longer, just a couple more years, I guarantee you they're going to offer you more money. So how long can you wait until that carrot that they dangle in front of you becomes too irresistible not to take? The problem is, is that when you take that carrot, that's the last carrot you're going to get because you gave away ownership and the opportunity to create wealth for your family and your family following that for the short-term gain because the value had dropped dramatically. So that's kind of the game now. You've got these people who rent in these areas who are now being forced out of these areas because they can't afford the rent. And I'll probably do an episode on how nobody can afford rent regardless of your race we're going to get into a socioeconomic talk which may lead to me getting assassinated so let me be careful about that episode but you've got these people of color who live in these areas can't afford the rent they get pushed out to somewhere that they can't afford which is much further away than probably where they live where they're from where they're accustomed but it's the only place they can afford And a year later, they drive back to their old neighborhood and this shit looks nice and brand new. When did they put a Starbucks here? What the fuck is a PCC grocery store? 
We've got a credit union? What the fuck is this vegan restaurant? Like, when you start to see stuff like that in your old neighborhood, you can kind of piece together what was going on. And for me, watching this last segment, it kind of put the whole story together as to how it all happened. So I go back to the gentleman from Africa who had a question about how black people got here and how this happened. You see the struggles of black people in creating wealth. Even still today, I don't I mean I don't know the numbers. I know in the the video they said that the average black family has one tenth the wealth of the average white family or net worth of the average white family. And a lot of that a lot of people are like, well, that's because of, you know, no, it's it's generational wealth. They started ahead because they played the game correctly. White people played the game the way that it was per- it was intended to be played in order to win. The problem, and so I'm sure some people are hearing this about like, so why didn't black people do the same thing? Well, when black people tried to play the game, there were laws put in place to stop us from being able to play the same way. So even, even for those who had the money to play, they weren't allowed to play with the same rules. Therefore, the end result was going to be drastically different. And so you see where we are now. And that leads into gentrification. It was crazy, man. But, um, you know, I appreciate you guys tuning in. That's the end of this episode. I ain't going to talk to you any longer. I probably had you for like an hour. My God. So if you've listened this entire time, I appreciate you. This is going to be the last episode of 2018. It's been a crazy year for me. Um, The first episode of 2019 is going to be a special one. Um, It's going to pertain to my battle with depression during 2018 for like I said I took a long break from doing this that is part of the reason I will not feel comfortable talking about that but I probably should Um, I may kick that off at the very beginning of 2019 Um, you know I'm gonna do this thing big for 2019 I've got people requesting episodes I've got people offering topics I've got people hitting me up asking for more and now I've got the opportunities to start actually making some money doing this um, off of ads so I'm really gonna ramp it up really take this thing seriously kick it into high gear 2019 we're gonna have more interviews it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit more it's gonna be more raw a little bit more uncut I'm not gonna be as filtered Um, it's too hard and fuck it it's my opinion it's how I feel these are my thoughts if you don't like it unsubscribe or go listen to some other shit because at this point at this time nobody cares about what's real nobody cares about what's actually happening except for me 
That's why this shit is called truth paste. I don't care about what they said. I don't care about what they're doing. I want to know the truth. Give me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us all. And sometimes the truth hurts. But sometimes the truth can be funny even when it does hurt. So for all of you who've listened in 2018, I really appreciate you. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to this podcast for 2019. We're going to turn it up. As always, truth pace. We out.